Gracious Father in heaven, as we come to this portion of our time of worship, Lord, we thank you that your spirit is already here. Spirit, you are alive and well and moving amongst us. God, thank you for those who serve in these worship teams, Lord, that lead us in your praise. Thank you for Jason and for David and for Mason and for Colby, Lord, leading us this morning. God, for them using their gifts and their talents so that we might come before your throne and declare that you are worthy. That there is no one else worthy but you. You alone, Lord. So God, now as as we turn our attention once again to your word, Father, I pray and I ask that in spite of a foolish messenger, Lord, that you would speak. That your words would go forth, that mine would be stopped, Father. That in spite of me, in spite of my inability, in spite of my unworthiness, Lord, You would speak to us this morning. God, that by the power of Your Word, Spirit, You would convict us where we have failed You. That You would challenge us to turn our lives to You. To be obedient to Your Word. But Lord, that You would also offer comfort and strength. That You would encourage us. Lord, the most amazing thing is that all of this is possible by the power of Your Spirit moving through Your Word. We love You, Lord, and we ask that You would do this among us this morning. You would add Your blessing to the reading, to the teaching, to the proclamation of Your Holy Word. And we ask all this in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. This morning we will be back in the book of Exodus. And so... If for one more brief moment, I know that we have stood a lot already, but I I encourage you to take your Bible, your tablet, your phone, whatever device you are using, and turn with us to the second book of the Bible. Right after Genesis, you will find Exodus. We'll be in Exodus chapter 7. If you find yourself here this morning and you don't have a Bible, please feel free to look in the back of the pew in front of you, and there should be a Bible there, and you are welcome to borrow that. If you don't have a Bible at home, you're welcome to keep that. That is our gift to you. We have plenty more. We will replenish them. But I would encourage all of us to turn in some form or fashion to Exodus chapter 7. If you prefer to follow along on the screen, that is also perfectly fine. As you find your place in sacred scripture, I would ask once again, if you are physically able, would you please stand out of reverence for the public reading of God's holy word as we look together now at Exodus chapter 7, beginning in verse 1, reading through 13. Even as we did earlier this morning, I will finish reading. I will say this is the word of the Lord. I encourage you to respond by saying thanks be to God. Let's look together now at Exodus chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. The word of the Lord says, And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron 
did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. As we come back to this particular passage in Exodus, you may remember from last week, we took a pause there in the early verses of chapter 7, to look at very specifically the hardening of Pharaoh's heart over this entire account of the plagues. So I want you to be aware that this is a preview this morning, a sign leading up to the plagues, and there's going to be four emphases that we're going to see through the majority of the plagues. One of those emphases is the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. Because we devoted an entire sermon to that, we will just barely touch on that as we go along, okay? It's going to continue to show up. It's going to continue to reoccur. But do not fear. Do not worry. We have already covered it. Remember, there are different words for hardened that is used. And the word that is most commonly used when it says that the Lord Himself Harden Pharaoh's heart is a word that means strengthen, is a word that means fortify, is a word that means make stubborn. So we used the analogy last week of like going skydiving. And, and today, if you were to go skydiving, they've lost so much money on people going up and not jumping out of the plane that your first few jumps before you get certified, you have to do a tandem jump, which means you're strapped to somebody else. So when you hear the phrase that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, what I would like for it to come to mind with you is two people strapped together about to jump out of a plane. Because if you're the paying customer, regardless of whether you want to jump out of the plane or not, that person who is the professional, you're strapped to them. You're not getting free and they're jumping out of the plane. So much in the same way, Pharaoh was ready to get out of the fight. But we're going to see over and over again what is true in verse 5 of chapter 7. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord. So he's going to keep Pharaoh in this fight, even though Pharaoh doesn't stand a chance. He's going to keep Pharaoh in this fight so that he can prove himself to all of Egypt and to all of Israel and to all the whole world. Because we can't have Pharaoh chickening out five plagues in. There's... Ten plagues that got to take place. So just to give you an an overview of where we're headed, this morning is our preview. And then we'll look at the plagues in three cycles. There's ten plagues, so we'll look at the first three, then the next three, then the subsequent three, and then we'll devote a little bit of time to the tenth and final plague because there is special significance in that tenth plague. But what we have this morning is a sign. 
It's not necessarily one of the plagues, but it is a sign. So you, you may be familiar with this. I just remember growing up, this guy named Don LaFontaine, the voice. Is anybody familiar with Don LaFontaine? You might be more familiar with him than you realize. He's the one guy who did all the movie previews, all the television show previews. You remember that guy that every time there was a new movie or a new show that was coming out, he was the in a world far away. You know, he was that movie that came that when the movie preview started, that voice that came over. Well, that, that's what we have this morning in the sign with the snake. This is the movie preview in a world where two men were presented before Pharaoh. Pharaoh and all of his best were throwing all that they could at these poor men. But the Israelites needed to be freed from Egypt. Who would win? What would happen? You know, I don't do a great version of him, but my whole life I just wanted to be that guy. I just thought that's the coolest thing. You could do that job from any remote location, right? Well, this morning, just imagine Don LaFontaine's voice in our preview of what's about to happen. So they go before Pharaoh, and the first emphasis I want to draw our attention to is obedience. They go before Pharaoh, and they're finally obeying. You didn't see this phrase that showed up twice this morning that said they did exactly as the Lord had commanded them. Two different times this morning in our 13 verses, it says that Moses and Aaron did exactly as the Lord commanded them. We didn't see that passage. We didn't see that verse. We didn't even see those words in all of Exodus chapter 5. Remember when we were in Exodus chapter 5, they go before Pharaoh and they say, let the people of Israel go. But what does Pharaoh do? He says, who's the Lord that I should listen to you guys? They don't perform a sign. They don't perform a miracle. They don't, they don't bring down a plague. They, they don't obey fully. Yes, they left their land. Yes, they came to Pharaoh. Yes, they said, let my people go. But there was still disobedience at the heart of what was going on because they didn't do exactly as the Lord commanded. But here we see now they have done exactly as God has commanded. It's an incredible thing that we're going to see throughout these plagues. This theme of obedience will continue because through the first three plagues, you'll notice that Aaron does all the talking. Aaron is the one who is the spokesperson. But then Aaron begins to fade to the back and Moses begins to step to the front to fulfill what God told Moses to do in the first place. God said to Moses, you're going to go to Pharaoh. You're the one who's going to speak. And what was Moses' immediate response? He was going to contest he was going to dispute. He was going to argue. I, 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 don't, I don't talk so good. I, 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 I can't do this, Lord. He constantly argues. And then his final plea was, please, just pick anybody else. And yet, as the plagues continue, Moses is going to grow in obedience. If you noticed from this morning, even the staff that's used was not Moses' staff. It was Aaron's staff. Aaron threw down his staff. And after the first three plagues, you'll see that begins to fade. Moses begins to be the only one speaking. Moses' staff begins to be the only staff that is used. There's a change. There's a shift. And that's one of the most beautiful things about the Bible. Moses could be presented as this man who's a superhero from the word go. Right when it starts, Moses is awesome and all-powerful. He's fully faithful, fully trusts in the Lord, never has a problem. But man, we, we talked about he's had problems all along the way. 
He's raised in an Egyptian household. He's, he's spoiled. He's entitled. He has identity issues. He doesn't know if he's Egyptian. He doesn't know if he's Hebrew. He murders a man and tries to hide his sin when his sin is found out. He doesn't face up to it. He runs away. He hides out in the desert for 40 years. And even when he's before the Lord, he argues over and over again with the Lord. Scripture doesn't have to tell us any of that. One of the reasons that the Bible is so believable is because the characters are so real. These are real people. These are regular people. Moses was a regular guy like any other guy in here that God put in extraordinary circumstances and God equipped Moses for what he had called Moses to. This reminds me of a quote that we share often. We talk about this a lot at Bethany. It's from James Sanders. It's a quote that says, Biblical characters are not presented to us as models for morality, but as mirrors for identity. We don't go to the Bible and pick apart these characters and say, here is my model for what is moral. The only person in Scripture we can do that with is Jesus. All the other biblical characters, we approach Scripture and we see a mirror. You can look at Moses and see yourself. I can look at Moses and see Nathan because I'm disobedient because I'm faithless, because I struggle and, and argue with the Lord. And the Lord has to drag me along, kicking and screaming. You remember there was a, a point in time we looked at this passage where the Lord shows up, the angel of the Lord shows up, and he's going to kill either Moses or Moses' firstborn son, because even along the way, Moses was disobedient. And yet now we see this man, Moses, growing in his obedience because he does exactly Everything to the letter of what the Lord told him to do. And it's so important that it tells us that twice. But, but why is it important that Moses does these things? Why is it important that Moses is obedient? Why is this theme of obedience going to show up over and over and over again? Why is it that God needs Pharaoh to stay in the fight? It's what we saw in verse 5. Verse 5, the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. Because I'm going to deliver my people out of the land of Egypt. That's going to show up in almost every plague, folks. It's, it's uncanny how often we see some permutation of that phrase in every plague almost. There, there's, there's so many. Exodus, once after, one after the other after the other, we find that God says in 717, in 810, in 822, in 914, in 916, in 929, in 10-2, in 11-9. Every one of those places, you find another verse that might be just slightly worded differently from 7-5, but it's the same principle. They're going to know that I am the Lord. There were 80-some-odd, roughly 80-some-odd Egyptian false deities. And if Moses is not obedient, then those deities will not be shown up correctly. Did you know that there's a deity that is a snake? It's significant that there is a snake that the staff turns into. Because there was this goddess, and her name, I don't really know if I'm pronouncing it right, it's W-A-D-J-E-T. So all I know to say is, Wadget, all right? So some goddess named Wadget is out there who's the serpent goddess, okay? And everybody goes and they pray to Wadget because the serpent is a powerful and, and deadly and venomous thing. All 80 of these gods revolve around the three most important things in Egypt, the Nile, the land, and the sky. And in every one of the plagues, God is showing up numerous of these 80 
different deities. And he starts off by just just as an off thing. Just, hey, just so y'all get where I'm going with this, I'm going to put old Wadget to shame. We're going to make this staff turn into a snake. And the word that it uses for serpent is not just like, you know, a little garden snake, not like a rat snake. I mean, we're, we're, we're talking about a deadly, large, venomous serpent that this turns into. It was probably the same kind of serpent that was on. It's a crown. It's a hood thing. You, you know that thing that the Egyptians wore and he wore it up here and then it went down this. I, I don't know what you call it, I don't, but it's his crown. It has a cobra right there on the top. To symbolize his power as Pharaoh. And so the Lord starts off, and that's why it's important for Moses to be obedient and not just walk to Pharaoh and go, um, uh, Pharaoh, um, my God said let the people go. That's not what God said to do. He showed Moses on the mountain the signs to do, and we get to watch as Moses grows in obedience, and then we get to identify with Moses. I wonder this morning, how many of us who have been walking with the Lord. How many of us who trust in the Lord Jesus as our only hope of righteousness can look back over our lives and see steady, slow growth in obedience? You know, sometimes I wonder that we say a prayer when we're kids, especially in the South, especially in Southern Baptist culture, that we say a prayer that a preacher or an evangelist or a deacon or a Sunday school teacher or some spiritual mentor leads us through a prayer that says, Lord, I know I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. Would you please forgive me so that I can have eternal life and live with you in heaven forever? Would you forgive me of my sins, Lord Jesus? Amen. And we're led through a prayer like that. And I wonder if we've ever prayed again after that. If we look back over our lives, do we pray more now than we used to? Have our, have our prayers grown and developed? Can you look back and see, maybe if you were following the Lord from when you were a very young child, you, you know, you've taught children Sunday school before possibly, and you've gotten all the requests for, could you pre- please pray for my goldfish? I mean, I, I, I pray with my son Micah every night, and his prayer is formulaic. He means it from his heart. He adds different things every time. But every night he starts off with, Dear Jesus, thank you for this day and this wonderful day. That's going to start his prayer every time. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross. You saved our lives. That's going to be the next thing every time. Be with those who are in the hospital and those who are sick. Get rid of this coronavirus. That, the coronavirus is a new addition to the formula, but it seems to be there every, every night these days. It's a very simple, straightforward prayer, and it's in a formula, but buddy, he knows it. And he knows how to pray, and he knows how to add things in there. And Luke is going to pray, and and he's almost always going to say the Lord's Prayer because he gets embarrassed and he doesn't want to pray, but he's going to pray in his bed, and he's going to talk to Jesus because I've walked in on him doing it. But when they get older, can they look back and see, my prayer looks different now. I, I talk to God about different things. Maybe I don't have to be as formulaic. Maybe my prayer isn't just the Lord's Prayer. Hey, listen, if you're not used to praying and all you know to do is go and and pray the Lord's Prayer, not a thing wrong with it. Absolutely nothing wrong with praying the Lord's Prayer. So many great principles in there to teach us and guide us in how to pray. Maybe you look back over your prayer life and in your private prayer time, you used to pray five minutes. Well, now now do you maybe pray 15 minutes? Is there growth? Do you find yourself being more obedient now than where we used to be. i got to be honest with you guys. Sometimes I, I don't know for myself. Sometimes I, I feel like I'm doing this. I'm obedient. I'm obedient. Whoop! 
I'm obedient. I'm obedient. Oh, man, what happened there? But now I'm obedient. I'm obedient. And maybe, maybe I'm, I'm here and I used to be there, but it, it took a long time and a whole bunch of back steps to get here. But you know, that was Moses. If that's you, you're, you're at least not alone. I'm there with you. Moses is there with you. And man, God sure seemed to do some great things through Moses in spite of his struggle to be obedient. But obedience to the Lord is absolutely essential. When we're disobeying God, when, when we're running from His will, when we're running from obeying Him, we're missing out on what His plan is. And His plan's going to come to fruition. Okay, He's the King of all kings. He's the Lord on the throne. But we miss out on our blessing because we want to be in Exodus chapter 5 as opposed to Exodus chapter 7 and be faithful and steadfast and obedient. The next principle that we'll see through every one of the plagues is the superiority of God. He's going to put all of them to shame. That's why after the staff turns into a snake, it eats the other snakes. Now, maybe you've watched the movie The Ten Commandments before, all right, with Charlton Heston. Fantastic movie. Still have no idea to this day how the special effects team made an actual pillar of fire to stop Pharaoh's army from getting to Charlton Heston, a.k.a. Moses, and the rest of the people of Israel. That's an amazing movie. All right? You should probably go back and watch it. It's not the most scripturally accurate thing in the world, okay? There's some places where they take a few artistic liberties, but it's still a great visualization of the story. Well, you you go back and you, you remember, well, there were two snakes, right? So Aaron, he throws down the staff and his becomes a snake. And then these other guys come along and they throw down a staff and their two become snakes. And then his eats theirs. That's not necessarily what Scripture says, right? It's the same way that we assume because there were three gifts, there were three wise men, right? Because it was gold, frankincense, and myrrh, there were three magi that came to see Jesus. Could have been 50, y'all. We have no idea how many came. We just know there were three gifts and a bunch of wise people that knew about this and came. Could have been two. That's really all we know because it's in the plural. All right. So the wise men, the magicians, the sorcerers, they show up. And and the word used for magicians is more like a title. These are Egyptian priests. This is to show God's superiority. This is not necessarily a magician, an illusionist, right? I don't want you to think about somebody who has charmed a snake into a trance and carrying this cobra around like it's a staff. Now listen, if I had charmed a snake into a trance and it was my staff and I could throw it down and wake it up, you best believe I'm going to have a little bit of swagger in my walk. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm on, I've got a cobra right here in my hands. I can control it. And they just waltz up there and they're like, you got a snake. I got a snake. That's not what we're talking about. It's not somebody who's got a snake hidden in a staff like the flowers that are fake, hidden in the magic wand where the magician, the illusionist goes, Woo! here's your bouquet. No, it's, it's not like that. These are priests. These are people who are doing occult practices. These are people who are dabbling in the demonic. All right? I always wonder when magicians pull birds out of random places... How long's that poor bird been in there? All right. This is not how long's that poor snake been in that staff. And you throw that staff down, the snake comes out of it. They actually turned a staff into a snake. The same way that Aaron turned his staff into a snake. 
Aaron relied on a supernatural power. Now, the power that Aaron relies on is God Almighty, the one true and living God. The powers that the magicians, the priests, are relying on is not a supernatural, the one true living God, but demonic forces, Satan the accuser. There, there is spiritual war out, for, out there that is real, but God proves his superiority over that by swallowing up however many snakes there were. It does not matter how many snakes were there. The snake that Aaron's staff became ate every single one of them to prove once and for all that God is completely superior. There is, there is no one who is above God. There is no one who can outdo God. There's no magician, no sorcerer, no Egyptian priest who can do anything to outdo what the Lord has done. And He has done this to prove who He is so that the Egyptians and the Israelites have an opportunity to turn from their idols and to turn to the Lord. Look with me at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead. Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Guys, God proves His superiority over and over again. So that, just like Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians, the Egyptians and the Israelites might turn to God. Turn from those idols and turn to God. The same plea is made to you and I today. Our false gods are, are not necessarily statues, but boy, we have false gods aplenty. We have idols aplenty. Anything in our heart that takes superiority over the Lord is an idol that needs to be torn down. Anything in our life that takes superiority above the Lord is an idol that needs to be torn down. I don't, I don't know what that is for you. I can tell you what that would be for me. But it can be anything. Even very good things like our family and our friends. If our family and friends move to slot number one and are superior to God in our heart, in our attention, in our affection, that's an idol that needs to be torn down. Now, I'm not saying get rid of your family, get rid of your friends. This is not a sermon where you're supposed to put concrete shoes on your family and throw them in a river or anything like that. We're not in the mafia. We don't believe in that. But I am telling you that if anything, including family, friends, good things, takes the place of the Lord as the number one spot, you've got to move it. It's got to be number two, number three, number four. There's only room for one true living God at the top of the pyramid. And so anything that takes his place is an idol in our life, whether it be football, basketball, baseball, any sport, whether it be our family, whether it be our kids, whether it be our grandkids, whether it be our friends, whether it be our spouse, our job, any of these things can become idols and take the place of the Lord Almighty. The third emphasis that we're going to see in the preview and that we're going to see through several of the plagues are counterfeit signs. Folks, I just want to spend a brief moment to remind us that spiritual warfare is real. Don't, don't be lulled into this sense of belief that that's just crazy, far-fetched stuff. It's real. 
There really is a devil. There really are cosmic forces fighting against the light of the gospel. And I know even as I say it right now, you might be writing me off in your mind as a, as a wacko, alright? Oh, man, that preacher, he's, he's gone down a crazy path. But it's real. It happens. It's not just in the Old Testament. It's not just in the story of Exodus. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Satan is a counterfeiter. He makes fake money all the time. Satan is the one who wants to work against us. Now, we do have to be careful, okay? I'm not telling you that every time you've had a flat tire and every time you've stubbed your toe, it's the devil working on you. Oh man, that old devil got my toe again. Oh, he got my tire flat. This spiritual warfare is something else. It might be. It's possible. It can happen. Don't give too much credence to spiritual warfare. Not everything is spiritual warfare, okay? Not every time you get a stomach bug is the devil just trying to drive you crazy. But it could be sometimes. It probably is other times. And there's more severe things that can happen. There's a realm that we try to ignore of spiritual forces that are at war for our soul and our obedience. And so folks, don't miss that Satan is a counterfeiter. And not just in this preview sign but in several of the beginning signs. And even in the successive plagues, they're going to try to mimic everything that the Lord does. And at first, they're going to continue to be successful. But every time, God proves to be superior. So remember, obedience, God is superior. Remember, all right, keep in mind that Satan is a counterfeiter, that there is spiritual warfare that is going on. And then we talked about Pharaoh's heart because the sad reality of this entire story is that even though God does what he said in chapter 5, he says all these things, does all these things, so that they might know that he is the Lord. They saw the truth and they refused it. They rejected it. Folks, look with me at Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 8-10. through 10. This is... The wonderful culmination of all that spiritual warfare. But it also involves our response to what's going on around us. Verse 8, And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth. So let's, you, you, you got to time out, okay? The beauty of it is what we read in Psalm 33. The nations and the world are created and sustained by the breath of his mouth. And then the lawless one, our adversary, Satan, the devil, our enemy, will be revealed. And Jesus is going to beat him. And all the spiritual warfare is put to rest. And it's over and done. Not because Jesus fought valiantly. Not because he had the best arms and the best military missiles and the most nuclear warheads. But because he breathed. Nothing else. By the breath. Of his mouth. The lawless one is revealed and Jesus goes, get out of here. You might not even have to say anything other than just get. I mean, it, it just, get. And he's gone. That's the culmination of the spiritual warfare. Acknowledge that it's there. But know that if you're on Jesus' side, it's coming to a glorious end. 
and not because of any special military might, just by the very breath of the mouth of our Messiah. Let's continue. And bring to nothing by the appearance of His coming. Verse 9, the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. Sounds a lot like Exodus chapter 7, doesn't it? Verse 10, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. They refused to love the truth and so be saved. The Egyptians saw the signs. Pharaoh saw the signs. When we talked about his heart hardening last week, the word that is used every time Pharaoh hardens his own heart is he adds weight. He adds sin to his own heart. The Egyptians had the same ability to respond and believe like the Israelites. If you look at Joshua 24:14, it turns out that some of the Israelites believed in the Egyptian gods. Some of them were actually worshiping the Egyptian gods because Joshua says, leave behind those false Egyptian gods and worship the one true and living God. Leave behind those false gods of your forefathers. It turns out that some of the Israelites, after 400 years of slavery, had given up hope that Jesus was ever going to deliver them, that God was ever going to send a rescuer. And they said, you know what? There's just no reason to worship Yahweh anymore. Let's just worship the Egyptian gods because we've been praying our whole lives and nothing's happened. And God says, I'm going to show up so that they might know. And there's Israelites worshiping Egyptian gods and there's Egyptians worshiping Egyptian gods. And they're given a choice to see the truth and turn to God or to see the truth and stay worshiping their idols. The Egyptians saw the truth. And stayed constant with their idols. The Israelites saw the truth and believed. This morning, have you seen the truth? There is one true and living God and He is superior. He demands our obedience to Him. Would you say that you fall in the camp of being obedient to Him? Would you say that you fall in the camp of being more obedient now than when you first started following Him? Or maybe you're here this morning or, or watching online and, and you've seen the truth, but up until now you've rejected it. Folks, there's still time. There's still time to trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. This morning, regardless of where you are, regardless of how far along you are in your walk, whether you don't believe at all or whether you find yourself in a place of disobedience, may we trust and obey the way that Moses did, doing exactly as the Lord had commanded. May we walk in obedience even in the midst of spiritual warfare. And remember that our God is superior above all else. There is nothing that can, will thwart Him in any way. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank You for Your Word and the truth that is found in it. 
God, we ask this morning that you would move amongst us. Lord, that you would help us to respond in obedience. That you would be patient with us like you were patient with Moses, but that you would bring us along. That we might grow in our obedience. Lord, if there is anyone listening to the sound of my voice that has stuck with this message this long, Lord, would you, that doesn't know you, Lord, would you move on their hearts, Father, that they might begin a relationship of obedience with you. God, maybe there's somebody listening this morning that is in the midst of severe and trying spiritual warfare. We ask that you would bring deliverance and victory that you would prove your superiority once again. Lord, there may be people here today who aren't willing to say it out loud, but in their hearts they know that their path and mine look very similar and they struggle with obedience like I often do. Would you move on our hearts this morning, Lord, and call us back to obedience to you? that we might be prayer warriors, that we might be Spirit-filled, and that we might have no other false gods ahead of You in our life. Lord, I, I pray that You would create within us a response to Your Word, and that we would be faithful to follow You as Your Spirit leads. We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ.